For those of you who know me at all well, you know that I love, love, love movies. I can't just say it once, I have to say it three times. I really love movies. There's something about the time length, you really get into it and then you get to hear the story and you're done. Um, but, I'll, and I'm kind of an omnivore when it comes to films, um, but I have a few exceptions. I will not see any horror films because they scare me too much. I will not see any sports movies because they bore me too much, sorry. Um, unless they're more about the relationships than the sport. And then when it comes to sci-fi movies, I must admit that I am kind of, I feel ambivalent about them. I can always tell, I can't always tell if I'm going to enjoy them, so I have to really do my research and homework before I buy that movie ticket. And I find that sci-fi movies are boring or weird for me, especially after the moment, and I'm thinking classic sci-fi here, after the moment when the main character is actually contacted by the alien life forms. The suspense has been broken, and then inevitably whatever technology is available to make the alien look scary just is laughable. So I usually find that they've done a lot better with this idea um, more recently. The 1997 movie Contact drags out that tension of hoping and working for that moment of extraterrestrial communication in a way that seems to me um, much less like sci-fi and much more like every human being's search for meaning and for relationship. Hang on with me here, but aliens and the search for alien communication reminds me and seems analogous to me of some people's interest in angelology. Yes. I've encountered many people who are obsessed with angels. Some of them are definitely Christians, and some of them are definitely not Christians. I noticed this a few years ago when I, was, um, when I related to the, a very interesting family surrounding a wedding. Definitely half of the couple to be married was Christian, but the family members um, themselves, the spirituality of the rest of the family was all over the map from auras to chakras to chi and guardian angels. Covered, they covered all bases, except there was definite skittishness about believing in God himself. What is it about human beings that makes us more comfortable believing in angels or believing in aliens than believing in God? Well, this desire for communication and relationship with angels and aliens, they're in separate categories. I understand that. And you might have no desire to have contact with either. And this will still be about you as well. But I do think that that, that desire comes from a place in all human beings where there is a longing for something powerful and mysteriously other to contact us, to break in from outside of us and make our world better. We want something to scare us a little bit. We want something extraordinary to rescue us from our ordinary lives. We want someone or something supernatural to give us a boost. We want a technicolor vision in our black and white world. And our world indeed is not just black and white, it's swathed in this gray haze of sin we are reminded of it constantly. We can't escape. We see it on the news. We know in our broken relationships with friends and family members. We know about sin through the examination of our own hearts. We live painfully in a world where everything has something wrong about it. 
where hundreds of thousands of displaced refugees seek basic necessities, where American schools are not safe from random gunmen, where injustice prevails. Seeing the pain and the suffering in our world, along with our own complicity with sin in causing that pain and suffering, we are tempted to long for a technicolor escape instead of a flesh and blood savior. Make no mistake, when it comes to angels, back to angels, scripture makes it clear, though, that angels are real. Angels are definitely God's own messengers. One of my favorite places in this church, in, on this campus, is in our church building in the nave, as we call it, when you get up to the communion rail. If you've ever had communion up at the rail where you've knelt down, um, if you look to either side, there are angels on either side. There's a depiction of the angel Gabriel and a depiction of the angel Michael. And those two angels, those two windows, I think are the most beautiful of all of the stained glass windows. And we have many beautiful stained glass windows. I love those angels. And I love believing, I believe in angels. I believe that they exist. But the problem with angels is that they are neither powerful enough nor weak enough to bring about our salvation. Focusing on angels can become attractive to us as human beings because they seem to offer some measure of divine presence and rescue that takes us just a little bit outside of our world without requiring that we give up our illusion of control. Focusing on angels, but not on the one who directs and sends them, affords us a dazzling and dabbling flirtation with the supernatural uh, this flirtation is safe, it doesn't threaten our sense of independence, but it actually also doesn't solve the one big problem. In our first lesson for today from the book of Hebrews, we see the author there addressing a group of Christians who were distracted by angels. To counter this distraction and refocus their lenses on what is most important, he begins by singing the praises of Jesus, the Son of God. Compared to angels, Jesus is greater and more powerful. Angels are created by God, but Jesus is uncreated. He is God's only begotten Son. Jesus is the heir of all things, and through him the world was created. Angels might seem glorious, but Jesus' brightness is the radiance of God himself. As messengers from God, angels bring divine communication. But Jesus is the Word of God who possesses the same divine nature as God the Father. Angels are ministering spirits who are sent by God to serve those who belong to Christ. But Jesus is the one who upholds the universe by his word of power. So we see in Hebrews a lot of great points about Jesus' superiority over angels. But the pinnacle of this argument from the book of Hebrews comes ironically, not from all of this Jesus is greater than, but because of Jesus' temporary inferiority to angels. Because in Jesus, God redefines what greatness means. Jesus is great because he is the one who has, by his incarnation, gone lower than his own nature. Jesus, the Son of God, has humbled himself to a status lower than his own angelic servants to be born as a baby in Bethlehem. The God of the Bible 
does not choose to save us by bedazzling us with glory and majesty from heaven. There's no technicolor vision of power to intervene by swooping us out of the mess of our lives. Instead of sending a messenger, God comes to us, himself, stooping down to our level. The true power of God Almighty is not found in his overt and obvious power, but in his humility. So we want things that make us feel good, and things that make us feel good are not bad. And the things that make you feel good might not be angels. You might not be the person that has guardian angel figurines in your home. But you might have something that you hang on to that makes you feel good. It might not be aliens either. It might be um, the hope of a grandchild, or looking forward to a job promotion, or the dress that you've been coveting for weeks that you finally get, and then you're a little bit disappointed. Uh, all of those good things that we desire, and they are good things, are not enough to save us. God doesn't give us those things um, for our ultimate good. He gives us instead his son crucified on our behalf. Jesus has plunged the darkest depths of humanity, of sin and death. He has so much more power than any kind of technicolor angel Angels only know sunshine and happiness, right? Jesus meets us there where we are, in our sin, in our weakness, in our addiction, in our disease, in our unhealth, in our suffering, in our darkest doubt. And though the darkness feels as though it might overwhelm us, it does not overwhelm Jesus. He partakes of our flesh and blood, so that through death, as it says in Hebrews, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. By his death, Jesus frees us from condemnation and judgment for our sins. He delivers us by his death from the fear of death, because there now is no condemnation. Jesus kills death itself, so that at the last day of our lives, our death will not be a turning out of the lights forever, but the beginning of eternity in the presence of God. So of all of these things, I think too, it's no mistake with those beautiful windows in the nave, um, which you can probably picture in your head in the church on either side of the communion rail. I love that the architect or whoever decided to put them where they put them knew not to put them front and center, at the center of our vision, at the center of our sight. They're pushed off to the side, pushed off to the periphery, meant to be seen and glimpsed at, but not focused on, meant to be enjoyed, but not obsessed over, meant to be received, but not chased after. So whatever it is that's shiny and happy and elusive that you chase after, hoping that its attainment will make everything better for you. Remember, it won't. Only Jesus will. Jesus, more glorious than angels, more glorious than any other wonderful thing in this world. Jesus, who is crowned for, with glory because he has tasted death for all. And so for now, we don't yet see our world made right, we don't yet get to see our hearts made perfect, but we see Jesus right there at the center of our vision. 
and we receive again his all-powerful love that has plunged the depths for us. Thanks be to God.